0: Hey all you luminous people, today I got to sit down with Rebecca Sanchez, the founder of LEDs Control out of Barcelona. Her lighting design firm focuses on controllable LED installations in the nightclub and venue design scenes. We met each other back in 2016 while I was on a trip through Europe, and we've been in touch ever since. She's a super cool person, a talented engineer, and a brilliant lighting designer. Her work can be found in venues all across Asia and the Middle East, or you can just check out her website, LEDsControl.com. Our conversation was great, and it round its way around the fundamentals of lighting design using controllable LED. We discussed our history and compared our artistic styles and the differences in the tech that our companies use. It was a super fun conversation, and I can't wait to kick it with her again next time one of us is in the other's backyard. I really think you'll enjoy this episode. How do we meet each other? We met each other, like, what, was it three years ago?
1: Around that, like three or four I don't know. You have more track of your trips to Barcelona. than So I don't know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Well, I met you in Barcelona because I was, um, I was visiting a friend and I took the opportunity to travel around and meet light and new media artists all over Europe. And I found you guys because your company is very, very similar to Digital Ambience. And um, the work that you guys are doing is... Super cool. It's very inspiring. It's mostly like um, it's like architectural lighting installations in nightclubs, specifically. Yeah,
1: yeah, I will tell that the kind of work that we do, or you know, the the when I try to explain what we do, it has been evolving in the last ten years since we started because originally was. Um, Basically, um, LED consultancy and control for entertainment, basically, and then after a few years, like two three years, we start uh, doing these like um, custom designs for clubs. And right now, what where I feel more comfortable to explain what we really do is basically we create mainly uh, bespoke objects or bespoke pieces that mainly communicate with light. Uh, but it's not only that, because more and more we are getting into, you know, materials. Uh, I, I think I personally got into this kind of obsession of hiding the technology.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's lighting integrated into architecture.
1: Yeah, yeah basically. That.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you use that term, Architainment? Is that like a term I don't like the word because Everybody for, hates for, that word. Yeah. I it, hate that word but I don't know how, what else to call it. <laughs>
1: well, is uh, media architecture as well.
0: New media architecture? No, not
1: new media, just media architecture or
0: Wait, wait, wait. media architecture?
1: Yeah, media architecture.
0: Never heard that. No. Yeah. But it's funny because like you want this one word right? To describe you know, like the industry or like what it is that we do. We want like a simple word. And architectment sucks.
1: Yes. I don't <laughs> I do like it. and even for a you know for a Spanish speaking person it's even difficult to,
0: to write pronounce. it and to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like new media ar- lighting permanent lighting installations. I, I
1: I've seen in some lighting design studios that work with dynamic light or let's say digital even digital lighting sounds like from the past, right? Right? It does. Yeah. <laughs> digital lighting. <Yeah. laughs> um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's say this light that has a kind of a breathing and a voice.
0: Yeah. But that's still a shitty description to <laughs> <laughs> like tell somebody like look on your website in the sales pitch. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. someday, someday, humans will create a word that accurately describes what do we do. What we do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, we can put it on our websites. Yeah, um, yeah. So we met three years ago. Came through Barcelona. I was like, "LEDs control. These guys are doing crazy shit. I want to meet them." So I mailed you, messaged you um, repeatedly, I think, and then finally got you to respond. <laughs> You're like, all right, fine. Let's meet for lunch. You met me in Barcelona near your offices with uh, your business partner Miguel.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and um, yeah, we just like hung out.
1: And- no, I was just like, who is this guy, and what does he want to sell? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's the first thought that we, you know, we are in this sadly, you know, in this uh, society where mostly everything is about what are you offering to me and or what do you want from me sure uh and it was very nice just to meet somebody that was just trying to not try but just meeting people and see what's going on in in the scene that we are and just you know have lunch and talk about whatever (laughs)
0: whatever which is basically what we're doing now exactly (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that is that was the goal, was to just, like, meet and hang out. And, yeah, and then um, it's crazy because this last time that I was in Barcelona, we ended up hanging out again, and now you're doing projects in, in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, we are uh, having our first adventure in that league, and, uh, yeah, we are very, very excited to see after all of these years um how we are able to come with with something mm, if i say different it sounds identify more with with something that we blend like different cultures because the context of the client and because where we are based so uh, we are be like Trying to make a good cocktail uh, of Asia, Europe, and America.
0: Because you're doing a club design.
1: Exactly. So we are. Um, we are doing. We have been working since the last two three years uh, with the Sook. That it's a nightclub, thing, one of the most old and let's say. Um, yeah, that they have been in the industry for many years, for more than twenty years. Yeah. Um, and we we were the ones who participated in the renovation of the initial Suk that is based in Singapore. Then we did the one that it's in, in Genting Highlands. That Genting is uh, the company who owns Suk uh, brand right now, and now they are opening next year Resource World that is uh, where Sook Las Vegas is going to leave. Yeah. So there is where we are now, uh, starting to, to create and to, you know, just, just starting.
0: <laughs> so when, you, when you guys come in to do a club design, is it like from the, from, from zero? Like does, like before the club is laid out, before it's for anything is laid down, like what, what stage do you guys come in?
1: It depends on the, on the client. Um, Sometimes we start from scratch and it's of course our favorite, um, way of working because we work very close with the architects and with the interior designers because our aim as lighting designers is to, um, glorify or to make, um, beautiful the architectural space without distortion or, um, just creating a different, um, phases of the, st- of the place itself, but if you are able to work closely with the ones who are like designing the void or, or, or the canvas where you are going to play, it's more interesting for the project. So, sometimes we, we are able to do that, like it's the case right now for, for Sook at uh, Las Vegas and many other clubs, but sometimes we are called a little bit late. So what we need to do is like to adapt of whatever is there. And the other reason why it's interesting to be involved in the beginning is because there is a lot of technology that has to be hidden in the space and a lot of wiring a lot of, yeah, of yeah. you know, like electronics. So if the place is already designed, there are no right places where to put pl- place the technology so it's a little bit inconvenient
0: that's that's been our struggle right because we, we usually we don't do nightclubs we do like um more like hospitality and office and like uh, like facade work and we inevitably get called in at the end and then it's like well everything's built everything's designed so it's really hard to hide hide the tech right which is In, in the end, that's the goal. That's what you have to do. You have to like hide that gear so that you can't see the fixtures. But nightclubs are different, right? I mean, nightclubs, there are a lot of visible, like fixtures you can't hide, right? I mean, there's a lot of integrated fixtures like LED that's embedded into the, the, the architecture itself. But then you've got, um, you know, like moving heads and you've got stage lighting, which is almost by nature, you know, that's going to be visible.
1: Yeah, but the problem is uh, not... I mean, you you play with a positive factor in in nightclubs that is darkness. So, because you control really the the quantity of light that you have in the environment, even if you have uh, moving lights or whatever elements that have a volume, it's not really a problem. And we are always talking on a scale of places where... um, Usually we work on places where we have hide and off. Or, well, sometimes you have no height to where to place the moving lights. But um, I think the key point on, on the design on a, on a nightclub, and, and I think in general in, in lighting, is about the contrast and the quantity of light that you have. Um, That's a
0: really cool point. Yeah. And it's a really cool way to look at It, it is like you start with darkness And then you add light.
1: Exactly. You paint with light, whatever you want people to see. And And that's
0: like very, it's very much that is like the theatrical paradigm because, you know, in, um, in architecture or in a building, you've got conventional lighting to, to deal with. So it's almost like the, the, um, the effect lights, the effect lighting, like the, the accent lighting that we're designing. It's, it's, um, it's added to an environment that's already lit, but for you guys in a nightclub, you're working with with nothing. Like mm-hmm. right? there is no lighting until you add that lighting, and that's that's got to be very freeing.
1: Yeah, and it's what is interesting. You know, I've been appreciating more and more the opportunity of of working uh, in the nightlife industry. You know, it's uh, historically in, in my career that I've been like 18 years working on this. At the beginning, I was a light jockey, so. My, my approach was to experiment with people's reaction and if it was really true, if people, you know, get more excited if you use a strobe in the right moment, you know, I was like doing these first experiments at the beginning, you know, like yeah. talk, like for me was the translation of music in uh, uh, for the eyes, you know, it, it was like uh, this kind of uh, language that I was exploring at my early stage. Um, and then... But over the time, I, I like in certain point of my career, like undervalued myself of being in the nightlife because it's like a lot of people in the industry and maybe it happened to you or even for you. It's like, oh, nightclubs. It's like, ah, you know, oh, absolutely. Not, not, not many. It depends. It's just maybe f- certain league of nightclubs around the world where you might think that you're proud to be in. But it's not true for me. Over the years, what I found in in this industry is like it's a black box, similar to what you have in the theater, where you can experiment. Mm. And there are different layers of lighting that you require to really create a story over the night. Because people is arriving, you know, producing themselves for the night, you know, having maybe an expectation of maybe leaving with someone or not, you know, it's, it's a, such a kind of um, um, social um, gathering and uh, interaction between humans that your scope or your aim is to promote that interaction in a nice way, you know, to... to
0: well, you're creating a vibe. You
1: create a vibe and, and you have like whatever hours, let's say eight hours, ten hours, depending on the club how open it is by night. So you have those hours to tell a story. Yeah. So the story begins.
0: But it's an emotional story. It's
1: an emotional story. And you play with with, uh, all these moods. Like when people arrive, there is a layer. There is architectural lighting. So you have um, the place itself needs to look beautiful and homey and like welcoming people. And you have all these you know, the bars and you don't show everything at first. You know, you need to disclose, you know, over the time and well, the like, story I mean, has like yeah, a beginning of it
0: builds, it's exactly. got a climax and a resolution. And
1: yeah, and at the end it's okay, everybody, goodbye. it's yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. when you put this for me it's, it's
0: funny because um, so I started VJing. Mm. That's how my, my career started. Um, and it also started in nightclubs. I also reached that point of of um like disillusionment with the nightclub industry and that scene but i was never responsible for creating the in the environment you know what i mean like um just like being a light jockey vjing is all about creating a vibe it's about telling a story and it's very much um setting the emotional tone for the music in a visual way um yeah, it's, it's, uh, but I definitely got sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely got sick of the environment. Yeah. That, I, that I, environment. I was. think
1: we we were very lucky. I tell you one thing, you know, I, I started in Mexico. I'm, I'm Mexican. I was born and raised in Mexico. And I started when I was 17, 18. And one of the reasons why I left Mexico, um, like 14 years ago was because I was tired of being in the nightclubs mm-hmm. and I was looking uh, to to learn lighting design for architecture and that's why I moved to Barcelona where is it's now like what I identify as home and I say home in between quotes because um, being able to travel for many places because of my work to be honest right now home is whatever I feel okay with the people that I'm Happy, you know, it's like relative concept of home, but anyway.
0: So home is a very relative term. Exactly. And it's definitely like <laughs> yeah, for you...
1: travelers and entrepreneurs, I think, yeah, you get my point. Um so I escaped from the nightclubs um from Mexico, and I arrived to Spain, and I found my way for a period of time in the, I will repeat the word that we don't like, architecture and industry. Mm-hmm. So I was the one programming for lighting designers, for architects, for you know, in these kind of projects of media facades and, and back in in, in the when when the boom of the media facades uh, happened in the.
0: When was that? In it uh, was
1: like I think um, early two thousands. Like I would say that my first like media facade projects. Started like in two thousand five, two thousand seven, more or less.
0: In Spain or in Asia? No,
1: my my I was like my kickoff was in Dubai. Actually. Oh wow! I did the yeah the Dubai airport terminal three, uh, canopy uh-huh. entrance, um with a company from from Spain, uh, Mundo Color, who made the the custom made lighting fixtures, uh, for that project. So,
0: and you guys just came in and did the programming or
1: yeah. At the beginning it was me. I, I when I found let's control, it was a one woman show. Mm-hmm. I had no partners. Uh, it was basically, instead of being Rebecca Sanchez around, it was a brand that I created, uh, because I didn't want just to be, you know, one per- I, I just made a brand. You yeah, know, to, to making voices.
0: That's, that's how digital images happen.
1: <laughs> it, it was just to make voices, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then I still keep some clients from, from the media facades or let's say, entertainment, whatever industry. Um, but then in 2011, that is when my, my actual partner came on board, uh, Mikel He got this friend in Amnesia, in Ibiza, in this nightclub that has been like, I think one of the best nightclubs of the world for many years and is one of the oldest as well. And we happened to make an LED installation there that became quite popular. Uh, It was like this 3D array that now you see it very often in the Chinese clubs, you know, with these uh, digital tubes and so on, but back in the days, not. In that scale, you know, with um, a pattern of a 2D array and a 3D array in a kinetic structure, it was, I think there were no place in the world of that scale of You mean LA like a, it was like a
0: volumetric thing? Or? Yeah, it
1: was a volumetric thing, but combined with a 2D pattern, you know, like, wrap, like creating a uh, evolving, you know, all the ceiling of Malaysia was covered, but by, by that uh, kind of diamond kind of pattern that the, oh, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. people copied and and used, copied or, it, or uh, yeah, it's it's not rocket science, right? So it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, in that moment is when I came back to the nightclubs. But before that, I was purely, you know, giving advice uh, to companies on how to have good practices of, uh, LED installations, giving classes about DMX, uh, workshop about programming, uh, with matrix or other kind of softwares. So basically that was that before we made amnesia. Mm. And, and then when we did amnesia and, and, you know, YouTube has been always our like channel to promote, uh, our things, then people start to contact us. Like we want an amnesia and. We were very clear since the beginning that we don't like to copy ourselves. Like we are not this kind of design firm that will feel comfortable using the concept of a place that is as iconic as a, that club.
0: Well, you can't. And right? reproduce you, it in another one. You can't take a client's work or a client's... No a product you design for a client and then sell it again and again and again. No. Because that would destroy the, the novelty of that, that installation.
1: And it's not only about the novelty. It's because each place has their own spirit and each place has their own architecture, their own, you know, vibe. So it's, it's not...
0: It wouldn't fit.
1: It could not fit. Yeah. You know? It could be similar style or whatever, you know, at the end it's like... Styles or looks that you're looking for, but we we don't like to, to to do the same. And and honestly, for me, it's it's like, what's the point? It's so boring.
0: Every installation should fit in the the location that yeah, you build it and into, and
1: should challenge the team to try to make something different, to find another techniques, another ways of fabrication, another kind of materials. Because if not, what's 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 the point of doing this?
0: Well, I mean, at a certain point, you that's the difference between a product designer and a design firm, right? Like a design firm designs an installation specific for a clients needs, right. For the, for the, the location that they're, they're designing for and the situation that they're designing for. Whereas, uh, yeah, people who just pump out the same thing over and over and over well, again. And
1: I think it's also the difference between a, team that is driven by passion or driven by money. And we are absolutely driven by passion. So that's another factor that we just basically, my favorite part of the, of the projects are the initial brainstorms and the initial inspirations.
0: That being said, you can definitely see style in, in designers work. Like I can tell your work when I, when I see a project that you guys have done, Mm -hmm. I can tell that it's you guys. You know, it's like you've got a style. I think every design firm has a style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you guys use Madrix, and that's like your primary weapon of choice when you guys do your design or your your programming?
1: Um, I must say that we are pretty much like 8-bit (laughs) enthusiasts. 8-bit? Yeah, we like to work a lot with low resolution or pixel mapping um kind of uh, concepts mm-hmm. i i just love um the scale of what a uh, pixel mean you yeah. know in in our world nowadays so
0: bringing back images of mario
1: yeah <laughs> for pac-man <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so because we work a lot with um Pixel mapping with low resolution stuff. We found Matrix very convenient because it has a very powerful patch um, editor and the real time rendering machine that it has. It's it's useful for us and it's. But and you also end, know
0: Sebastian, right? I know. I know, I know very well the you Matrix
1: family, and I consider myself as part of the family, and we have a good friendship, and we have been supporting each other's careers over the years. Just to give you an example, when we did Amnesia, that it's a, it was a volumetric installation, there was no uh, 3D patching. So the way we did the, the 3D effects for these waves and you know all these volumetric, volumetric effects, uh, it was made with a script. Um, so we play with gradients of grace to, to to make an offset between layers to create like a more special kind of, uh, effects. And then we found a very funny way of programming. That is, it's not what you want, is what you achieve over experimenting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that Which a lot is, uh, of
0: programming ends up being that way. Right? Yeah. It's like you have an idea of what, what you would ideally like to do. And then you've got the limitations of a tool or the confines of a tool. It's not necessarily the limitations, but yeah. like, yeah, the tool forms the box and the, the sandbox that you create your work inside of. Mm. Um,
1: and, and and I was mentioning this because when, when you asked me about the relationship we have with Madrix is after we made Amnesia and all these volumetric installations became so popular, um, Madrix needed to release a software that could support 3d patching, like voxel mapping um, so I must say in a very humble way that we kind of help to provoke the market or at least Madrix, um, to develop that tool
0: That's because cool. it was
1: a, yeah, it was a need.
0: Well, I, I was talking to Matt, um, on the last podcast about this, how like the artist creates the need that drives the toolmaker to create the tool that enables the artist produce new works of art. So like every form, every artwork is this collaboration between a tool maker and, uh, and the, the artists themselves or like the content maker. Hmm. And it's interesting to see that like play out. We're doing the same thing with smode right now. Hmm. You know, it's, we're pushing smode, um, in ways that develop their software that allows us to produce work that in turn drives them to create new features. Yeah. So, it's really interesting.
1: And does it happen to you that you are a bug finder? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what oh, I have. Yeah. Like
0: all the time. Like every yeah. time, every time we do a big project with Madrix, I like flood that form. <laughs> <laughs> like, it what happens the fuck to me is? a lot? But
1: in, in in general, in, in I have maybe I don't know. I, I like technology and and I'm a very like you know uh, geek and software person, and I happen always to find the box. <laughs> You know, they happened to me, yeah. which I'm glad that they happened to me. Well, and, that means you're
0: pushing the software. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So how did you meet those guys? Like, Matrix? Yeah, yeah. Originally. Like, how, did you just find them because they were making software that you could use to...
1: No, it's a nice story. Um, I was very lucky in my career. Um, I started, as I told you before, as an uh, as a light jockey in, in, in clubs in, in Mexico, and then one day I was a self-taught person and I learned observing and I learned like trying things, hacking things and through the you know the maintenance crew and you know just being curious. And one day my curiosity took me to, to break. Uh, I was using back in the days. It was like early 2000 and I think it was 2001 or something. I was using a uh, Nicolavdi software, you know, Sunlight. Yeah, you know, with a very old interface that was like NT4, like a white. It's not even existing anymore, with a very old computer. And I happened to delete somehow the firmware of that interface. And I in it was a Wednesday, and we open on on Friday or something like that. And I was like, Wow, why did I, you know, what happened? And I found the distributor. And it was uh, my, my mentor, uh, Roberto, whose company in Mexico City was, is uh, Sin Limites. And, and I just called him and I said, Listen, I saw that you're the distributor of sunlight. I have this problem. So he uh, told me, Just come and I will help you to fix the interface. So, long story short, uh, I end up uh, working for him. So he became my mentor. He, he was a very important uh person in my career because he not only taught me um how to program or how to i learned with him how to solder how to give maintenance to moving heads i was like you know the girl for everything like cleaning moving heads uh soldering uh splitters isn't that funny
0: how that's how that's how knowledge in the lighting industry is passed down absolutely it's like through mentor to to like had a one
1: yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> you know yeah. It, that's how that's how it worked for me as well
1: yes and and I I feel so lucky that I had access uh, to work uh, with him because he also showed me a way of doing things right you know and he was the most he passed a few years ago and he was the most passionate guy and everybody Loves him and he was like the the master of the D M X in Mexico City. Like yeah. if you go to any nightclub in Mexico, the keyboard is set up to his style, and you mm-hmm. know that the strobe is always on the enter or in the tab bar. You know, it's like there is a style. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So
0: what software did he teach you, or how did nicola
1: what? the sunlight? Ah, oh, weird. He so was, he was you, taught, this,
0: you had a program on Nicolaudi software. I,
1: I became super expert. I was like the help desk. And I um, gave a lot of feedback that features that now are in the software were because of we gave that feedback.
0: You're I've, the only person I've ever met in my life who did show lighting with the Nicolaudi suite. I know that's really crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't use it anymore and but I have a very a lot of um I'm very grateful with Bruno Nicolaudi and Bruno Falip because in my early Career Basically, when I arrived to Spain, it was the only tool that I knew. And I made for a living out of their, you know, because of their software, because I was giving classes and training and I made gigs. You know, I was the girl with the laptop, a MIDI keyboard and a Nikolao interface. And I was doing, you know, I was renting my gear and myself for doing gigs. And that's how I make for a living at the beginning when I moved to Spain. Yeah. So you know they are part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah. Then um, what I was talking about. <laughs> Robert, yeah. Robert, yeah. So Robert and Roberto the magic guys. Oh yeah. So when I moved to Spain, um, one day Roy, the Elinge, is how we call him in Mexico.
0: What, went to
1: Elinge, which is means uh, engineer, but the short word of engineer, <laughs> <El> Inge <laughs> He went to LDI, I think it was maybe, I don't know, 2006 or something, I don't remember.
0: LDI is like the Woodstock.
1: Yeah, there <laughs> many things. So he met the German guys and his first phrase to the German guys was like, you know what? I'm going to be your best reseller in the world. And the German, you know, they are German. And they were like, aha, uh-huh, okay, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And he was. He was um, the number one reseller or distributor in the world selling uh, Matrix Neo, that it's uh, the interview US, yeah, yeah. uh, USB to that is not uh, existing anymore. Uh, so, yeah, he made it. Um, what was that he, that interface
0: it was like USB to DMX? It's a USB right?
1: to DMX one universe yeah, yeah. interface. Yeah. That at the beginning when we started using pixel mapping, one to universe was like enough. Now it's like that's nothing.
0: So did Madrix in like OG Madrix, right? Did they even have ArtNet implemented? Was Artnet a thing? It
1: was yeah, Artnet was a thing, not with their own hardware, but they were um open to support any Artnet devices like from NTEC or Artistic License or Luminex or whatever. Yeah. So back in the days I personally used a lot of Luminex nodes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so hmm ArtNet to DMX yeah. bridges. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Or also some Entec, um, Man, It's so notes. funny
0: because the world that we live in, I don't I never I never convert back to DMX. Like DMX is such a archaic format that we just, you know, or there's like a DMX universe is so few pixels that it's hard to imagine a show programmed with Madrix that a single universe or two universes or ten universes would be sufficient to to run the lights involved in, in a, a single installation. Well, duty. we we
1: work. We work a lot with DMX because the the background from from my partner also mine is uh, from broken roll. I mean we is from what? Rock and roll is used to say oh, like and touring yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know doing. Um, well, that's where I came from of, too. Yeah, yeah. So we are used to the DMX protocol, and it's a uh, it's it's not no longer not just because of the limitation of the channels, but also because of the refresh of the signal and so on.
0: I mean, ArtNet is still DMX. All I'm saying is that. Uh, I'm I I came into pixel mapping at a point when things had moved on from old school DMX, you know, like the actual like DMX over a XLR cable.
1: Yeah, so you you are in the SPI um, dimension. Yes. Yeah, which we sometimes are, but we still use. Um, DMX a lot because we, we work with a very big scale things. So, but they are big scale. We we don't mind on using 200 DMX universes, you know, in in our installations. And the reason why sometimes we don't use SPI is um, because sometimes what makes you the limit on, on the count of the pixels is not the data itself, but the power. So the, the, the power drop and so on. So at the end of the day, if you make a balance, it sometimes creates a lot of work to put, you know, this power distribution in order to not have drop of voltage that will create you flickers or problems. Yeah. So at the end you say, okay, maybe I win in in, in pixels per, per, per line, but maybe I have more labor to be powering Again, the the lines very often.
0: Interesting. You know what I
1: mean? Because we because yeah. we work with huge pieces, so so, it, so it's about power.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We we consider the power like a whole different system, right? Because all the the installations we do, we pretty much do all the the hardware from scratch. So when we do mm-hmm. those designs, the power system and the data system are two like separate systems, mm-hmm. right? Where we power the installations and we'll do the calculations for, for voltage drop and then we'll inject power where needed. And then with an SPI protocol, you've got X, you, you can, you can drive like a thousand LEDs per output from your controller. So it's, it's without going into like crazy semantics and getting down into the weeds, it's uh they're like two different systems. Do you know what I mean?
1: But you are running cables in, 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 in cable trays that are, I mean, even if they are not running together, because it's not nice to, the, to put the data with the power. But at the end, you are, it's a matter of system architecture and, and, and wiring and, and manpower. Mm-hmm. So, and we love racks. We like we like heavy duty connectors. We like hearting connectors. <laughs> you know, we we we, lo- we we love like you know this kind of um, very safety kind of stuff. See, and that's
0: the that's the roadie. <laughs> we about. are super roadies, <laughs> and
1: you know SPI. When you start to use uh, heavy duty connectors, it doesn't work because it's a. Um, it's a protocol that it's uh, meant for like long short distance. And, it's you meant know, for
0: to communicate between circuit board.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So um,
0: but we we do use heavy duty connectors with SPI. It depends on the connector and you have to measure the capacitance. But yeah. It's yeah. it's definitely a thing. It's funny, it's um, everybody's got their own um, their own style, mm. right? And I don't think there is one way to, to, to every company that does this kind of work has their own set of best practices. And it's like a set of best practices that's been developed over years and years and years of trial and error. So the way that my company deploys an installation and designs an installation is probably completely different or has similarities but it's very different than mm-hmm. the way that your company does which is very different than the way that yeah. Moment Factory does which is very different than Tate than <laughs> you know and yeah, none yeah. of they all work but it all comes there like there's no school there's no like yeah. college of like this is how it's done it's Yeah and, and, don't, all,
1: and don't don't get me wrong we use SPI as well and we use all the protocols uh, DPI whatever um <laughs> The only thing that I would like that it can happen in the industry with the, with the SPI is that there is no, you know, I like, I like things to be certified and I like to be things, uh, to be developed in a way that the industries agree with. Yeah. Like, you know, the ESTA, uh, the US, uh, the USIT US, USIT, IT and so yeah. on. So that you have paperwork to read. Yeah. As a developer, as a integrator, as like who can I call to ask for a question? The problem with SPI, I think it's a it's running too fast and it's like each IC chip is a protocol basically.
0: Well, this is true. Mm-hmm. The the it's a different language, yeah. right? So it's you've got you've got dozens of different languages, but the the electrical protocol is the same. And um there, there are huge problems with, um, there are problems and there's benefits mm-hmm. to SPI and there's problems and benefits to DMX mm-hmm. and there's problems and benefits to ArtNet. But in the end, they're all just different tools and they have different use cases. So for example, you know, when we're doing long distance runs, we absolutely use DMX because it's a, it's a differential protocol, right? It's, it's, differential and it, it's balanced you can send it for you know hundreds of meters without without problem mm-hmm. but um when we're talking to pixels we use spi because it's a faster protocol because we can get higher refresh rates and we can drive more pixels per mm-hmm. per chain mm-hmm. um it's just different tools you know it's like different protocols for different applications but, and different scenarios but I
1: but i am just waiting for the moment and Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think SPI protocol protocol haven't been adopted. Like, for example, I have the handbook of the DMX that was, you know, you can buy those booklets in Plaza in Show or yeah. maybe in LDI and so on. Have you ever buy or find an oh, SPI yeah, I one? I from this, from SPI?
0: Well, SPI is not like a Yeah, company. I know. It's, SPI is like a... But no, yeah. DMX
1: is not coming. It's a protocol. But from SPI, you don't have that kind of handbooks do. of good practices. You
0: do. It's just... It's not like a user handbook. It's an electrical handbook.
1: It's an electronic...
0: Manual. Manual. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. no,
1: yeah. And DMX as well. I mean, RS485, yeah. yeah. But what I want <laughs> is that the entertainment industry...
0: Well, I don't think... It was never designed for the SPI is meant to communicate between chips on a circuit yeah, board. Yeah, it's
1: the SD cards into computers.
0: Yeah. Protocol, Which is I know. fine. You know, it's just... Uh, it's... I don't think, I think that you have to, in order to succeed in this industry, you have to be one part show producer. You have to be one part designer Mm -hmm. and one part engineer, like electrical engineer. And I'm not an electrical engineer by, by trade. And I've, I've learned that, you know, I've learned that in like a real half-assed, half-assed way. But we have electrical engineers because in order to get once you get far enough down into the weeds right into into a project none of this tech is off the shelf the stuff that we we use none of it is off the shelf we end up having to redesign pull apart tear apart stuff redesign it and it it gets down to the electronics like the engineering like pc board level so we inevitably have to we have to work in that world. We have to work, we have to speak that language. Like I don't, but I have to employ people who who do because um, a big part of, you know, our value add as a company, mm-hmm. right? What we make money off of is designing custom fixtures to fit the needs of a particular installation. You guys are much more into design right? And we're much more like a production company. And I think that's where our companies differ, right? Like we're still, we're doing very similar work, but like, you know, the the area of specialization is is slightly different, which is a good thing because that that's the way that we're able to work with like Moment Factory or with you guys or with an architecture firm, you know, is that like, we have a very specific sliver of knowledge and that sliver of knowledge and that sliver of specialization is, like, we build custom systems mm-hmm. from the ground up, you know, from the PC board up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, for us, SPI is, like, a very natural uh, protocol that fits in to our toolkit. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, and, and I'm, I'm I'm, also – I mean, I like also the protocol. And I, as, I, as I said before, I also use it. Maybe I am – little bit just uh, septic is the
0: word? You're a purist. No, I'm <laughs> a purist, yeah.
1: You know, I, I, I like specific information and documentation. And I like to, you know, read manuals and blah, blah. And the other reason why I'm a little bit like, eh, is because in Spain, there is a lot of people who buy their whatever pixels or strips in, in you know, in China, which is not, not, the problem is not that, but the problem is that they, they don't know what they are buying. So we, have, we get a lot of calls because we are the Madrix distributor in yeah. Spain and Portugal. And we get a lot of calls um, asking like questions that are not related to Madrix, but about their wrong practices in their installations.
0: So I don't know how any company that deals with LED installations, right? Like your Madrix, um, the LED controllers that we use... I, I feel so bad for the manufacturers of the, you know, the PixLight guys because – and I've been guilty of this too. I've called them up and been like, dude, your shit's broke. <laughs> and then like after, you know, two or three days of slamming my head against the wall, it's like, I don't know. I just fucking completely engineered this thing wrong or the LED was, was incorrectly configured or – so – I feel for you. I understand like I would never ever want to do technical support. It's, it's almost as bad as coming into a project after it's already been designed and built and trying to fix it. Like I'll do I'll do projects from the ground up from scratch all day long every day. Mm. I hate Fixing other people's shit. Yeah,
1: so when, <laughs> and that's
0: what tech support is. Yeah, you're trying to fix other and, people's and, shit.
1: And when when you distribute uh, software that controls lights, that's
0: all you're doing. But you're trying to fix yeah. their shit over the phone.
1: Yeah, like like <laughs> I like even uh, t- today five in the morning, I woke up and, and I already have like I don't know how many messages from from these. Uh,
0: so wait, you guys are the tech support for Madrix?
1: Yeah, in Spain and Portugal. Yes.
0: Oh my god!
1: I mean, we are the distributors, and our responsibility is to um give the technical support as well so we we get a lot of uh you know it's normal you sell a software and hardware so you need to respond for it
0: so you know we're starting to distribute SMODE
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> welcome and I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm already getting like not tech support questions but it's just like inundated with uh it's just a lot of talking
1: it's a lot of talking. it's
0: a lot of talking but I
1: you. you know what I'm I'm Right now I have an amazing team and I have uh, Sara and, and Guille that uh, they are more and more getting more experts into the matter. So I am just solving those like the impossibles Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> that
1: sometimes, uh, thanks God, I have the WhatsApp from Sebastian, <laughs> 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 from Patrick's, but, but he's my last call. Like, I don't like to bother him because he's always very busy and it's um i don't have this
0: whatsapp i have a uh, cell phone number and i've called it uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> so but yeah i mean i love i love to give support and and i love to to solve pro- other people's <laughs> problems but as long as it's coming from the thing that i gave that i sold not, not because of um Honestly, I will help them even if it's not something that I saw because it's the way I am. You know, I like to help people.
0: These are the things that we think about. This is what we love to think about, right? Like I love thinking about, I'm on this group called LEDs Are Awesome, right? It's a Mm -hmm. Facebook group and it's literally just like 1,500, actually I think it's up to like 5,000 LED nerds. And I just love, like, I love seeing people's problems and like thinking about them and being like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I've seen that before. This is this is probably what it is. I have no financial stake in the game though, so I can easily just duck out when I get annoyed. I was like, all right, you know what? This is stupid. You're on your own. Sorry. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool though. Yeah, the uh, the Magic Skies are I think every software is like a like a family. Do you know what I mean? Every software, every tool has like a group behind it. And it's like, they've invested their whole lives into it or a big chunk of their lives. And they have their own, you know, user base. And it's funny because at LDI, that's how all the media servers are, right? That's what they all feel like. You know, there's like the D3 or excuse me, The disguise, disguise guys. (laughs) Disguise guys. (laughs) I can never remember their new name. The disguise guys. There's like the uh, the Pandora's box camp. There's like the hypnotizer crew. You know, with like Nigel and all them. And it's it's when you come to LDI. When we go to LDI, we're gonna go around and just hang out with all the media server people. Yeah, it's awesome because they're all just like us. They're just nerds. Yes, they're just like software (laughs) nerds. We are just a
1: group of. uh, of nerds, yeah.
0: yeah. I hope you come this year. I really do. Yeah. We're supposed to do a talk, I don't think it's gonna happen, but I, if, yeah, I mean, I can if you go, I'll go. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about how you got started. You're from Mexico, yeah. You had a
1: I'm from Cuernavaca,
0: Cuernavaca.
1: <laughs> that is a little town, um, that is like. Uh, an hour from mexico city towards the coast of acapulco Mm. and basically i needed a job you know i was uh um i was the way i discovered light was through music my first interest was about the music scene i was uh by coincidence in a High school party in in that nightclub, and I was just curious to see how things work, where how the music is coming out of those speakers, and how you know the party was being run. I I mean, I'm I'm a kind of nerd, so I like to understand (laughs) things, right? So I end up in the DJ booth, and when I saw all of that, you know, all the records and uh, the amplifiers, and you know, all the how the mothership is driven I said wow I, I would like to learn how to you know mix music because I always like music and I am a, a dancer I like to dance and I like you know um, so that's how I got interest into the club scene yeah. because I wanted to be a DJ.
0: So did you get your first job through was it Robert? Roberto?
1: No, no, no. I uh, didn't uh, know him before. It was really me just knocking the door to the DJ booth just to see what how it was it working. And I just offered myself, like, listen, I would like to learn. Can I come over the weekends and just observe? And they say, well, you cannot just be here. You know, you need to do something. So why don't you uh, play the lights? Because back in the days, to be a light jockey, at least in Mexico... Um, if you were interested on in being a DJ, it was like the first phase. You are the light jockey.
0: Oh, so you wanted to be a DJ.
1: Yeah, originally yes. Oh, yeah. So um, that's how I started moving the lights because I wanted to be on the decks. And then after a few weeks, when I discovered the power of light, I mean power found the light found me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, you know what, guys, you keep your records for you. I'm continuing here and, and, and exploring what, you know, all the potential of light. And that's how I started. It was really, um, by coincidence. I was not, I mean, I was not even a party goer, you know, it was a party of my high school. I I mean, I, it was the first time that I was in a nightclub basically. Yeah. Um, that's
0: funny. You're like definitely that kind of person who can't just like, you're not a beach person. like, there's there's two kinds of people in the world, I'm convinced. There's, like, beach people who, like, can go and sit on the beach and read a book, and then there are people who cannot do that.
1: I am in the second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then after, uh, there, I I start to look for um, lighting, training, you know, exploring the theater scene, and, you know, but I was like, no, I, I want something, like, you know, more complete. And, and that's how I found, like, these uh, masters or graduates in, in Spain. And, and that was uh, one of the reasons why I, I, I moved there.
0: So, wait, you moved to Spain to go to school?
1: Yeah, to study lighting design. Okay. Well, honestly, eh, it was just an impulse <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, that's uh, the, how the I lighting design
0: probably. actually no I ended up here through Burning Man which was an impulse <laughs> yeah it was an impulse I, it
1: was like you know I, I had a friend in Barcelona who had a friend you know this kind of the friends of the friends and you know I was 21 and I, I was cur- I, I wanted to travel I wanted to I was a little bit tired of the night of the nightclubs, um, and I didn't. I was very clear that I didn't want to stay there for long, at least as an operator, as a yeah. night jockey, right? Yeah. So that's the only thing that I knew. So basically, one day I just said, "You know what? Um, yeah, let's explore Barcelona." Just because I knew people. Well, I, just one person, and in one month, I decide. That I quit college, I quit my job, <laughs> and I called to my mom to say, Mom, I'm leaving to Spain, and she was like, You are crazy. And back in, in, in that moment, I already knew Roberto, my mentor. Yeah. And when I said, Roby, I'm going to, to Spain, he was, You are crazy. You need to finish college. You know, he was very academic. And I was like, ah, it's just going to be a summer, you know. I, I'm just going to explore what mm-hmm. is people doing there with light, and you know, see the scene there, and so on. And then fourteen summers passed.
0: <laughs> you know, it was
1: like, and then you know, I'm this kind of person that, um, very receptive and very observing. You know, the the, the situation and 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 adapting to to the reality that I'm living in that moment. And I really start from really scratch. Like I arrived with 50 Euros, like yeah. <laughs> like really low key kind of a situation. And I I started to to research for training, for courses and so on. But at the same time I was giving those trainings with, with the sunlight and so on. So, so that's how. how cool. did you
0: find an avenue to train? Like when you got to Spain, no one knew you. No, you didn't know anybody.
1: Mm.
0: How are you? Uh, how are you giving courses?
1: There was um, the forum from Nicolaudi.
0: Ah,
1: yeah. So I, I did a a dynamic. Like every day, I will wake up in the morning, go to a internet cafe,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> and send emails to introduce myself. Sure. So I was uh, basically I was doing, um, yeah, like emailing rental companies. Um, companies that could be interested on a person um, that knows how to program DMX. Mm. And I was announcing myself in the forum from Nicolai like hi I'm giving training uh, about uh, this and that and and I started to have some, some gigs and then one day an engineer from Barcelona who happened to be working in an electronics factory where they Started to make PCB boards of uh, LED, I mean, LED for lighting, because they were doing back in the days, you know, uh, whatever kind of electronics you can imagine, you know, but not lighting. So when the high power LEDs came, they started to do um, LEDs for lighting. So they were OEM for lighting manufacturers in Spain, because Spain, it's a big, there is a big scene of um, uh, lighting manufacturers. Um, in Spain? Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, yeah.
0: interesting. I thought all lights came from China.
1: No, well now <laughs> yes, but back in the days, Spain was a yeah, it's a, a lot of uh, lighting t- tradition of manufacturers. Oh. So this engineer was looking for somebody to program their new showroom, where they were showing the first RGB uh, and RGB white fixtures back in two thousand and five. Um, so I made a show control for them, you know, music synchronized with the lights for, for the LEDs. I remember it was like a studio 54 or John Travolta kind of a floor, but in a <laughs> wall, but with LEDs, you yeah, know, it yeah. was, it was nice. It actually, is what we are doing now, you know, like pixel mapping. But back in the days, people were, uh, was obsessed with the high resolution LED screens, and I was telling them that no, the future was a low resolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. I was really in a offset of, of time with that. But yeah, the, the, the thing is that when I did that showroom, the owner of the company said, "Why don't you stay?" Because it was not in my. I mean, I didn't want to spend to pretending I was going to stay. It was just a, you know, just a gig. It's a gig. Just yeah. let's see what happens. Um, and then this. Uh, Joan Sanchez is, is his name. He'd say, why don't you stay? And, oh my God, and, and, that's your name. Yes, he's
0: like a... What if he was a secret relative?
1: Yeah, it's, that's why it's what, what we always said. So <sighs> so he's the one who offered me to stay and I just uh, jumped into the train and I said yes. And that's how I end up living in Barcelona.
0: There's a train coming.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I work in Schwabe, Panasonic, and then I start my my own project in two thousand nine. So this is uh, in December is going to be ten years of Let's Control.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Ten, 10 years. That's the trick. I feel like that's that's like a magic year, right? Yeah. Ten, 10 years is is the amount of time it takes a a design firm to really find its own footing and like really get on its own feet. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. We're seven, mm-hmm. seven years old. I feel like we're almost there. We're getting there. Not quite there, but we're getting there.
1: <laughs> it's, it's never there because because we like, I think people like us, that we are like part creatives, part, you know, it's like artists, but technical, but geek. You know, we have like a these, uh, I think it's a, disorder of personality <laughs> or something <laughs> We are plenty of neuroses. <laughs> we, are, we are we are never happy with our work it's like a kind of an, I mean i feel proud and happy of how things
0: uh, but that's are you know i, I, I think that's drive. i mean
1: we, we we are makers of or we made things for for team lab i mean it's like you for moment factor it's like wow once you are you are there it's like you feel proud and happy but
0: It's never enough. But
1: you, yeah, you never think that you are there because it's,
0: it's, I think it's, that's what that's, that's drive. That's also what separates beach people from not beach people. Follow me here, Right. (laughs) Because, and arguably like, so I have good friends and good family who are beach people. Right. And they're, they're, They're satisfied with themselves, right? They're like content with themselves, and I've always envied that because I've never been that way. Like I've always been unsatisfied with myself, which in a way is kind of like it's an insecurity. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm convinced that that insecurity is what gives me like drive and motivation and propels propels me forward. Yeah. You know, whereas if I was just like, oh yeah, cool, I'm doing cool stuff. This is fine. I'm just going to stop doing, you know, stop pushing yeah, or whatever. It would be easier. And if I was happy, like there's also like this level of like, like fundamental, like angstiness, right. That goes along with, mm. with this whole thing yeah. that you're describing. It's like, you're just never quite happy enough with yourself and where you're at. Mm. So you're just like always,
1: yeah. And it happened to me a lot um, beyond of being happy with me regarding my work I have a big obsession of what I am doing that really has value for others like is my work really relevant that is you know creating an impact a positive impact on our society or in our sector I always like to think that we can be part of a movement a part of a change a part of something that is worth to to really continue doing what we are doing and not just because it's beautiful or just nice you know it has to be um something beyond that
0: pushing the envelope
1: yeah and i tell you a story about this um like huge crisis that i had in 2012
0: Wait, hold that thought. I want to get another beer. Yeah. Do you want one? You good? I'm good. Okay. I'm- hold on, I'll be right back. bring one out just in case yeah just in case you change your mind
1: yeah probably i will because i work based on you know as all humans
0: based on alcohol consumption no,
1: based on imitation
0: um,
1: we we mimic each other
0: so you're saying if i start drinking a beer then maybe you'll see me drinking a beer and you'll and feel suddenly like drinking. feel like you should have a beer exactly oh well
1: Especially with that sound. (laughs) Uh,
0: You're going to tell me a story. You're going to tell me a story about something.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) well, I have, yeah, I think one of the most, I mean, for me, there there have been in, in these 10 years two inflection points or two, how to say it in English, like, you know, the bridge to the next step. In, in, in my pers- in my personal, in my persona and in my career. So the first one, the first one as let's control before was, you know, what I read and all of that, but as a let's control founder and the company in 2012, I got a huge crisis, you know, like my work is not meaningful and what am I doing with my life and I'm not saying anything, and I'm doing just, you know. Was that like,
0: that was LEDs controlled midlife crisis?
1: Yeah, maybe. It was Rebecca, 30, I was, no, not even 30, I was in 2012, 20, whatever.
0: That's a quarter-life crisis. Yeah, so whatever.
1: (laughs) 29, 30, whatever.
0: Maybe it was, uh, what is it, when your planet returns?
1: Yeah, like the the cycle 7.
0: Saturn returns, is it Saturn? Maybe, or what? Neptune,
1: or Mars. This is, <laughs> Mars is war, no? <laughs> I was in war with myself. Oh. So it's it. it will sound really weird, but I trust me that it happened to me. My brain was like in a kind of glitch or crash.
0: Yeah, I've and been there. I've definitely had horrible. those. Horrible. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's
1: painful. And I remember I took my car and I drove all the way to Cadaquesa. it's a beautiful uh, little town up in the Costa Brava, where you know Dalí. Costa Brava is yes, beautiful. Amazing. And Rob, believe me, I was sitting down in a beautiful rock and I was observing to the ocean and a word came to my mind that was nanoscience. <laughs> and I said, of course, I need to publish and I I need to help the scientists of the world. And I really thought that I needed to get my life into the into science um, somehow tell me about this yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, Keep but, going. Sorry. yeah.
1: so um so i started i started to study like physics and chemistry and read books about like on your own. quantum physics, Just physics getting into it yeah and, and about arts and stuff like that but you know because i already was in the lighting industry and i and because i needed to to continue doing for a living, I couldn't quit on lighting and I had less control already. And I was distributing. I mean, one thing didn't mean to quit the other, at least not radically, you know, it, it could be maybe a transition over the years, but not at that moment because I, I needed, you know, to, to make for a living. Yeah. Um, so what happened is that I started to get very inspired about those concepts that, um, were fueling me from from the scientific world, so I start to dream about concept of lighting based on quarks, based on whatever particles you know I was reading about, and and it's very funny when you start to study again this uh, um, science, this basic science. When you are in your late twenties or early thirties, you process information in a different way, uh, comparing when you learn those. Us, um, you know topics when you are a teenager well,
0: Describe how, what do you mean different, like yeah, slower, you, faster, no, better, deeper deeper Yeah. because
1: you start to understand the existence itself and because we are always based on our experiences and all of the information that you achieve over the years then you start basically to connect dots
0: yeah, that, yeah
1: Yeah. So well,
0: that's the voice of experience. Yeah, yeah. you can so, like take those and you can apply that to real life. Hmm. Take those lessons, right? Those lessons and like those those theoretical lessons exactly. and apply those to like concrete. Yeah.
1: So so it was very uh, fulfilling for me in that moment. I was like discovering or rediscovering um things um, in in that moment of my life. And and plus combining that with already my lighting skills and and the creativity applied to that. I came up with an idea, uh, of creating like a kind of, um, immersive experience that now is very normal to talk about immersive experiences. But, uh, in 2012, what was not like a a topic, um, and not, not in Spain, especially because when you go to either a concert of a nightclub or whatever, it was always you observing to the stage. Yeah. Right. So I said, wow, that's so boring. Why not to create something more immersive that the DJ is not the main focus anymore, that everything is interesting enough. So you are just enjoying with your friends and everything has a nice environment. And you know, I I I try to to take out the center of the attention that is just in one place. That was my idea, right? And I was just, you know, thinking who could be interested on in listening to this idea. And I don't know why it came to my mind, Richie Houghton, you know, this visionary. And and I was not even into techno music. I honestly, he I, I just have had him in the back of my mind because I saw him in the Creators Project like months ago with Anish Kapoor interview, whatever. So I said, I found him interesting because he was close to you know contemporary art like he he was not like a normal DJ no for me I am the perception that I had from him since the first time was like um somebody receptive to maybe hear my story yeah. or my idea so honestly I just wrote to him in the his website like contact form
0: info, you know info,
1: info, info whatever yeah not <laughs> even that and I explained this idea like the very bad thing I mean my English is like I mean, I'm not native English-speaking, so I, now that when I read it, it's like, oh, my God, how could I write that? You know, yeah, it's well, like, that
0: was probably part of the charm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, long story short, uh, he replied to me the next day, like, who are you? <laughs> and then, well, the story ended up that we became part of the production and all the, you know, creative process for his entered party. That was his first party as a solo in Ibiza, in space. So we work uh, for him for all the seasons, like from 2012 to 16. So we established a collaboration of four years, Think of my personal crisis. And that was for Let's Control. Like the first kickoff was Amnesia. Then the second kickoff was Richie. And then uh, came all the coving in between and so on, and then came Team Lab two years ago. Yeah. So for me that those are like the three and Team Lab was more like a confirmation that yes, we are a very right good track. team and, and, and we can do this kind of big scale projects for uh you know, huge you know, I mean they are um what they are. So it was not about the project. It was about the process of managing a very challenging uh, client, yeah. Basically, so yeah. it was for me. It was like a training on project management. Well, basically.
0: I think that there's always like these um, these mini plateaus, mm. and then there's these mini, um, you know. Every every company has those uh, those Herculean moments, right? What that brings you up to the next level. Mm. And uh, sounds like those were the those were the those were three. Monumental uh, moments in LEDS control. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. All of them are. I. I don't. I don't. Uh, there are a lot of maybe smaller or less popular kind of projects that have been maybe more meaningful for me. Like for example, the light art installations that we do we do at Lusa Festival in Portugal in El Algarve with my friend Bo. Um, you know I. For me more and more is about the people that you are working with in that particular moment and those memories that last forever. and it sounds super cliche, but it's no, true. because I mean, that's because the- I, I mean when, once you are professional and you are lucky enough to, to live out of the thing that is your passion, I think less and less it's about the relationships and the people.
0: That's all business is, right? It's, it all comes down to relation. I remember when I realized that I was, uh, I was working at XL video right in, um, in LA and I, I saw the, I watched how the owner of that company, um, the people that gave him business, all of the bands that toured with us, all of the 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 production companies that worked with us they were loyal to him they weren't loyal to the brand they weren't loyal to like um they were loyal to the person right like this one person and, and that really drove home to me how business is about friendships and and now it's it's super clear in my mind how all everything in the world everything whether it's business or you know, this microphone here or anything that you observe in the entire world is a product of interpersonal relationships and you can be successful if you are able to um, navigate that world of interpersonal relationships in a way that produces the outcome that you're, that you're going for. And uh, yeah, I wanted to come back to something you said earlier though, because the the whole immersive environment concept has been really blowing up right and you see it in in Meow Wolf, which i don't think you know what that is but it's you know what what's oh, the new york thing yeah i
1: i know it because you explained
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's the New York one that just happened? Ah,
1: uh, so, super, super real. Super with real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well.
0: And then the one in uh, in the Team Labs thing. Borderless. And, yeah, borderless. Mm-hmm. These um, these invite these. They're almost like museums. Yeah, they're they like-
1: are the uh, ultra technologists museums.
0: Um, yeah like but sensorial. they're also like experiences right mm-hmm. and they're they're like uh they're theatrical productions but they're also kind of like like performances in a way yeah, but performances of, performance, yeah. yeah and i think that that's um in my mind i draw a direct line between that and and burning man which i know you haven't been to but burning man is uh it is like the fundamental like um Participatory event where everybody is a participant. It, it is an environment that's made by the people who who attend I'm Like blah, blah blah, yeah, so I I see that there has been a number of things that have kind of shifted the paradigm But here we are now and we're in this world where no one wants to sit and watch Something on a stage no one wants to watch TV people want to be part of the show right and I wanted to find out how you see that phenomena Coming together with uh, the work that we do, because I already am starting to get many requests from entities that want to produce these kinds of environments and these uh, these uh, productions. Right. And I know we were talking earlier about the nightclub scene, and I think that like that's the future of nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Like I hate nightclubs, to be frank. I mm-hmm. really do. I love the architecture. I don't. I don't like nightclubs, yeah. but. I think that a really cool way to flip the nightclub experience to refresh it, Mm. to reinvigorate it and give it a new set of legs to change that paradigm would be to combine like an immersive environment with the nightclub experience to create this new thing. I think it's only a matter of time before that happens.
1: Yeah. I think – nightclubs i mean i, I am agree with you that i don't like nightclubs either in the term as a as a guest i i am um... it's okay you can like, you can like nightclubs. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell that to my clients okay <laughs> no i mean um i think what is happening right now is you have this immersive experience that now are like taking as a as if you go to a museum, you pay a ticket, you enter, and it's a selfie paradise, right? But I think the a opportunity- selfie
0: paradise. That's funny, yeah. man, because they are they're like Instagram like yeah,
1: backdrops.
0: photo opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: This kind of uh, What's
0: the, do you, have you heard about the uh, the ice cream museum? No. Okay, never mind. You should look it up because that is the ultimate. So self- it's like yeah, never mind. Anyway, go ahead. I will.
1: Run. So I think what is. We are in a very interesting moment, um, technology wise, creativity wise, like everything it's like there to be blend and to be participating in order to create humans, to interact more between humans. So actually recently, uh, we changed, um, our kind of slogan or phrase and we say LED's like... lights
0: controls phrase.
1: Yeah. Now we say that we create creative lighting ideas for human interactivity. And when I say interactivity, it's like we should promote creating places. We should create places that promote human interactivity. And when I say that, it's not people to interact to technology specifically, but that you create such an environment that you are talking your, to your friends, that you are sharing uh, that experience, but you are like living that present moment with the people that you are around mm. and you are observing them and, and you know, being playful with the technology, but not just being, um, how to say, obsessed of being necessarily using your phone to take the picture or to use the app and so on. And so on. It has to be, I think, as more and more we are using the technology as an extension of ourselves in a very natural way, like who was going to say that having your phone in your hand mainly all of the day was going to be normal?
0: Hey man, we're cyborgs now. Yeah. Get used to it.
1: So spaces <laughs> need to be like our cyborg, external cyborg, meaning that what we need to, I think all these immersive experiences, um, putting them on nightclubs should create macro experiences, that is, yeah, I had a big show and, and it's always beautiful and, and fulfilling this, uh, to have goosebumps and all of that reactions when you see a mega show. But I think also we should have um, micro experiences in, in, in just in the scale of the size of your table where you, where you are sitting down or in, in walls, you know, like in a very simple and natural way that it doesn't give you um, excessive inputs that at the end of the night you are overload of things. Yeah, I think it's a matter of balance and dosification of those technologies. And at the end of the days, we humans don't forget that what we like is to dance in the cave with the fire.
0: Yeah. Well, it's this, this is really interesting. Like. This it's, is what
1: we really like.
0: It's this interesting paradigm, right? Where it's like you've got humans and humans are really like 500,000 year old, like operating systems, right? And then you've got this technology that is enabling us to do, to interact with each other in different, new and different ways. But again, it all comes down to interpersonal relationships. And I think that like a lot of, Venues, um, venues, including, like, architectural venues, lose sight of that, right? Where it's like, okay, technology is cool, but technology for technology's sake is, like, cold and sterile and kind of pointless. Whereas technology that enables people to connect with each other and helps to facilitate interpersonal connections actually... That's what engages people, and that's what makes people, um, that's what is compelling to people. So, a truly successful installation piece is a piece that, that does that, right? It's mm. like, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I think another point about, um, these immersive experiences, um, in the context of nightclub, I think in, for me, uh, nightclubs should turn into simply clubs or social clubs as it mm. was. you know I mean you have some of these social clubs, but there should be just spaces where can be opportunity for artists to you know express uh, their, their content, their message, their whatever. And because it's an industry that I mean clubs nowadays if you go to Las Vegas they, they cost millions and you you have already artists doing great stuff there and so on but i think more and more uh, should be like a good opportunity of these kind of uh, these club owners uh, that not only on the big leagues um, invite artists to make creations i think it should be something normal it's like like galleries you know it should be so it should
0: be like rotating art that comes yeah
1: that. maybe it could be rotating art and also i think it should be Places where it's not only about um, the main artist, famous artist who is performing that night. It's, it, it should be also just a place because you feel good to be there no matter who is playing. And the only way I think you can achieve that is you if you ensure quality of content. And when I mean quality of content, it doesn't mean to have like a mainstream artists performing because we are so many people in the world and so many talented people that need to have a voice. And I think these spaces should also promote like not the super famous, you know, artists just doing their thing, uh, you know, and, and people paying whatever uh, to look at them. I think it should be more inviting uh, different, you know, levels or, or of artists,
0: Well, let's break it down to a practical level because I, I agree with you, but I think that like, um, how would you, so a nightclub, like if we ignore the financial needs of a nightclub, right. To like draw people in and blah, 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 to pay for itself to exist. Like you can only have like so many artists per month or whatever, or per year. And there has to be some kind of curation. Because you have to make sure that the people who you are allowing to say things, to say, to to express themselves artistically, have something worthwhile to say. Excuse me. Um, And then nightclubs, the technology that's in a nightclub is going to allow for certain types of art. A sound system allows for a DJ, right? Or, Or... like a band to play right that's like a certain type of art a lighting system allows for a certain type of artist to perform like a lighting artist or like a screen allows for a vj to perform how would you set up an environment that would allow many different you know how would that work
1: i give you an example a very practical example I think Ibiza is an example of that. Uh, for example, you I don't know if you know El Row. El No, El Row is a group of people from Barcelona who basically make uh um, theme parties. So basically they convert your club into for example, one night it can be like a jungle or uh, I don't know, like a party from the 70s or, you know, like very funky parties where mainly they theme up your venue. So they fulfill everything with fabrics and they bring like 40 or whatever number of artists, you know, dress up with very f- funky Costumes, you know, it's, it's like a art of perfor- performance. They are performance artists.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's mostly performance art.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the, and I give this example because um, the only, you have, I think, a club or the formula that you find in Ibiza is that they give you like the canvas and then every day is a different production. So one day you have cream. And you have certain kind of set. Tomorrow you have cocoon, and you have certain kind of set. So everyone has their own voice, their own style, and it, the club itself has its own character, and it has its basic, you know, technology, their rigging, their whatever, basic needs uh, to their own parties that are part of their signature of the place. But what makes the dynamic of, of Ibiza, for example, is that people is going there because for example, one of the ones that I like the most is the flower power from Bacha that is, you know, like these seventies, uh, you know, like the hippies and, and it's super funky and you have live bands and so on. So I think the future is this multidisciplinary combination between pop-ups, theme parties, and, and different kind of, um, expressions that are not only necessarily have to be digital.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, there's also those groups here in the Bay Area that are um, super on that tip,
1: yeah. right? They're not
0: really doing it in nightclubs, but they're definitely um, creating events and festivals that are immersive and it's much more theatrical. It's not so much on the technology tip, but it's very much on like the installation art and uh, yeah.
1: yeah, and I'm not telling you. Uh, nothing new. I, or, there is nothing new under the sun. Well, no, I'm I just telling this is, that this is
0: a new. This is a new thing that's happening now. This is like the crest of the wave is immersion.
1: Mm. But I think um, what I'm trying to say is that those spaces need to serve uh, for all of that. See, from performance artists, from pop-ups, uh, um, you know. Music-wise, some food-wise, you know, it has to be really, really multidisciplinary. Yeah. It's just the the expression of whatever arts or non-arts possible.
0: So, like, one part nightclub, one part art gallery, one part theater.
1: One part gamers arena. Gay what? Gamers, you know, people.
0: Gamers arena. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Gaming. Where the hell did that come from? (laughs) <laughs> no seriously man like, they have like Fortnite competitions that are bringing in like hundreds of thousands it's of people an, to stadiums it's an
1: industry yeah it's crazy it's, it's insane
0: crazy. it's bigger than football
1: uh, yeah it is. And, like
0: how did that happen
1: it is I, I <laughs> it's know it's because we
0: live in the future back at <laughs>
1: yeah we saw it today <laughs> the delivery robot oh god yeah I don't know Rob I, I don't have the the crystal ball the only thing that I hope is that, um, our society, uh, can be exposed more and more into quality of content, because the only way of creating a society that can be more sustainable or, um, how to say more meaningful is when you feed them it's like you are what you eat, right? Yeah. And you are what you hear, you are what you see. So in order to create a society that has more critical points and more opinions based on, you know, you, you need to feed them with good stuff.
0: Jesus, does this like explain why America is like this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, the world. So I, I the only thing that I hope is that I can participate in a, or we can participate in a kind of a, mini-movement where we create more spaces, you know, that we ensure that whatever is displayed there has its reasons and it's, you know, at least trying to, to have a more value and not just like the easy formula or, or whatever, just because of the profit uh, to have the, the most with the less. That's
0: Are you the, satisfied with... Uh... Do you feel like what we do makes a positive impact in the world? That's something that I've been struggling with, right? Because I am very much – I have a lot of friends and people who are close to me that are involved in, like, like the NGO scene. And I ask myself, you know, it's like, well, what what am I doing? You know, I'm, like, making – pretty lights Mm -hmm. and it's like I want to you know I want to believe that what we do contributes in like a real sense to the well-being and the 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 betterment of society but I don't even know you know
1: I only know one thing that but I do I do it with with honesty and with passion and, and and I do the best that I can and I try to evolve myself and and try to Son
0: of a bitch Well, it's not recording anymore No? I mean, it stopped Oh, this,
1: this guy is recording Is it? Yeah But it's not the same So, if it's not recording, what should we do? But it, it's not recording since when?
0: Oh, the card is full Son of a bitch I mean, I, it must have just stopped Yeah Damn it, that was a good one.
1: Well, we um, can finish here right, and see let's how it see, sounds. Let's
0: just finish here and see yeah. how
1: it sounds. So, no, what I was... to Just to finish is that the only thing that I know is that because of my passion on... on, on It started like a curiosity, then it became like a passion. And then because of that passion, I, I started a company. And then I discovered that what I like the most right now is to inspire people meaning my team and my clients. Um, and the only thing that I know is what we do is with honesty and trying to do our best and always trying to reinvent ourselves to deliver the best that we can. So I think because it has an essence that has a positive vibe on it, for sure I think the space received that positivity and somehow it's reflected into the people. Yeah. And... You might like or not. I mean, you cannot decide on other people why they go to those places. Like maybe for most of them it's just to have, you know, a crazy party night where it's mainly, you know, focused on, you know, getting wasted or whatever. It's everyone's decision on why they go there. And it's okay because it's part of our human nature to express ourselves in whatever Whatever it's good for you, and you are okay, it's fine, so I think what we do is um i mean we are not doing something wrong and 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 i I don't know you, and I think we have similar DNA on that that, as Roberto my mentor used to say, we are not looking for the money, we are looking for the glory, mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. as long as I can participate in 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 these uh really trying to reinvent concepts or trying to. I think the most beautiful is when you start to find ways to invite people from other sectors to, to come into yours, and then you move to yours, to another, you know, this, this interchange or this, this sharing ideas and sharing opportunities, um, I think it's already positive. And at the end of the days, you know, cities and spaces, we humans recognize if there is beauty or, or like harmony, there is like, okay. You know? So I think yeah, we that's
0: that's the conclusion that I've come to as well. It's like we're creating beauty in the world and we're creating like good environments that are fostering interaction with people. So yeah. Cool. Well what do you think? I yeah. think this has been a really good conversation.
1: I think very much is what it is.
0: Fair.